We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We are back on the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. We're talking Nets. What's up, Jack? Nick, has uh, Joe Harris been announced for the three-point contest yet? Has my uh, my campaign for him worked? Has it worked? I mean, it's worked for me. I mean, I see you putting in work, Jack. It's like a tweet a day. You're giving the shout-outs, the screenshots. And, like, I've been impressed Ooh, with Joe that. Harris, not only the three-point shot, but his overall game. He's really developed. Yeah, the consistency for, for my boy, I mean... I'm going to get get me one of them statement jerseys, get a Joe Harris one with D'Lo added. He's become my my goat. Um, yeah, seven straight games um, in double figures for Joe Harris. Going into the season, you never would have thought that, you know, he would sort of supersede the expectations of someone like an Alan Crabb, who was sort of a guy that we, we wanted originally and we paid quite a bit for, if you're looking at it in the scheme of salaries. Whereas Joe Harris right now is play, doing all the right things and even is contributing on the defensive end, and his passing has just come up in leaps and bounds. Really, um, really become a real stalwart of this uh, net system. Yeah, a real developmental piece. Uh, random talk about Joe Harris before we get into the latest Nets games. You can always listen to Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, and OTGBasketball.com. But last two games against the Hawks, a home and home, Saturday at home, and then last night on the road. Funny enough, we, we come out dry in the home game, and we look great in the away game. We'll talk about the loss first. So what did you see from the Nets in Saturday's loss at home to the Hawks? It just seems to be what happens to us, Nick, when we get in those funks. Um, we mentioned it before when we talk about some of our losses. There's just no pace and rhythm to our game. Um, we get on a couple of good possessions, but they're immediately thwarted by you know, a lack of engagement on the defensive end, or we just give up some easy threes, or they make some good buckets. Um, and by that token we can't get it back um i think i was mentioning to you as throughout the broadcast it was like one step forward two steps back we'd nail a three but then you know we'd give up two in transition um we'd have a turnover or something 
So it was just one of those nights where the Nets, you know, certainly weren't locked in um, coming off a, a bit of a road trip. Yeah, coming off a bit of a successful road trip, they weren't locked in. We saw this before. When they came off the win against the Cavs, they faced the Knicks on a Friday night. They did not look well. Kenny was worried about it going to the game. And like you said, it's just the inconsistency. Low-key, the Hawks game probably was one of our worst performances of the season. Luckily, we just hit a ton of threes, so it kind of kept the score close as well. The Hawks, as we know, aren't a very talented team. So I think you know, the Nets really just didn't, like you said, didn't play with energy. They didn't play with pace, and they didn't attack the Hawks even though they even have, probably have more talent in that team and they should be able to go at them a little bit and feel a little bit more confident, especially at home. I think the 3 o'clock start kind of messed with them a little bit, but still no excuses. No, yeah, definitely no excuses. And I think um, you mentioned on your Twitter during the game as well, Nick, the, the three-point shot, I think it flattered us a little bit because it sort of it, it covered up some cracks that um, were intermittently showing. Um, when we play our best basketball, we mentioned in the in the Dallas win and in some of our other more impressive wins, we play good in and out basketball. So we're able to, you know, go well on the inside. And that's one thing that I was really disappointed about, you know, despite the fact that we don't have, you know, elite bigs, um, Tyler Zeller has been, you know, an, an improvement and, and as has Jared Allen, who I'm sure we'll mention in in the coming minutes. But that's one thing where we really, really struggled against a team that doesn't have their best big man, Dwayne Dedman doesn't have their best rebounder in rookie John Collins. I um, could barely get anything in on the inside. So that, for me, was one thing that was really disappointing. Yeah, and it was like the Hawks were kind of giving us a lot of threes. Some of the threes were bad or early in the shot clock or guys you wouldn't really want taking the threes. And the Nets were kind of just settling, like, a, like we said, no energy. And in the other hand, they should have just been attacking the paint. You know, the yeah. Hawks have really no bigs that can protect the rim. Like you're telling me you're scared of Miles Plumlee, no chance or Irsan Ilyasova, the only thing they really have to watch out is for charges, and charges killed them on Saturday, but they should have did a better job attacking the rim. I felt like, obviously, it was Rondé's first game back from injury, but there was a couple times where he should have probably got more touches in the post. Like, I think it was back-to-back possessions. They gave it to him against Luke Babbitt, and one possession he scored, the next one he got fouled. They really had no answer inside, so they needed to attack the rim a lot more. I actually I think, wouldn't have mind seeing Isaiah Whitehead in that game. I think he would have had a nice little niche in that game just for the fact that he would have brought some energy and he would have attacked the rim and at least forced the issue. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we really liked. You mentioned the, the charges. Whether I think there were some, some iffy calls, I think some of the refereeing this season, whether it be the ejections or just These some... The last two t- games were kind of shaky for the Nets against Atlanta. It felt like they got better calls in Atlanta than they did at home in Barclay Center. It was weird. It is strange because normally, you know, the home team all obviously gets the, the 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 rub of the whistle. But like in this case, I guess it sort of just worked against us. But yeah, I think it, it's it's always a game of runs for us. And I, I think when we go on those runs, as we saw in in the the second game against the the Hawks, that's when we can look really good, and that's when we can get into a, a serious flow and and get into that uh, really nice style that we like to play. Yeah, and I mean. It's like we were just really high on the Nets after the road trip, and I think it, this is kind of something we should have more so expect. It's a young team. They still never you know, won more than 20 games in a season, so they don't even know how to handle the smallest type of success. Going 2-1 and one on the road trip isn't crazy, but for a team like the Nets, it's a big deal. So as they progress, you know, things will get better. But let's talk positive. Let's talk about the game last night in Atlanta. You know, the Nets blew them out. It's a close game early on. Nets didn't play great energy, but it was still better than what they played with at home. Then in the third quarter, they just flipped the switch. We'll kind of go through the top plays, top quarters. But what was your initial reaction after the win? Uh, very, very impressed, Nick. Um, 
we had probably our two biggest leads of the night when we went up by 29. We were able to maintain that. It's like a 22-point lead. To be able to, to maintain that, not let the Hawks back in the game, like um, harking back onto the last game, I was mentioning to you before we started recording, I just expected the Nets to go on one of their sort of patented runs that we've seen against some of the lesser teams, but we just couldn't do it. Whereas in this game, it started off, we started off a bit slow. It was sort of emblematic a little bit of the Grizzlies game, but the Grizzlies yeah. obviously have maybe a little bit more talent. Um, you know, a guy like a Marcus Sol, even though he didn't play in that fourth. But, you know, when we went on that 17-0 run in the third quarter, it was it was lights out from there. And it was, you know, guys like our, our boy, my adult son, Jared Allen, doing his thing, and, and guys like uh, Levert, and then Spencer Dinwiddie just killing it as always. Yeah, I think like you said, it was just, it kind of reminded me of that Memphis game, just the fact the Nets were hanging around and then all of a sudden third corner, turn it up, blow it up. Just nice to see. And it's nice to see the Nets respond. You know, yep. they knew that that loss at home was bad. So they came out and they performed and got the win. And I thought that was big. If they were to lose last night, I would have been pretty upset about the season. It helps give, give them some momentum going to those Mex- Mexico City games. But who do you want to talk about first, Jared Allen or Karis LeVert? Oh, Nick, I don't know how much time we've got, mate, but um, I could speak about it. I, I, I was watching some video from um, some of the Nets Day, the guys uh, that were showing them, just some of the pick-and-roll action from both of those guys and the chemistry. It's salivating just to see them, how they're working already. That one pass by Levert to, to Alan for the oop, I have had on repeat all day today. I could watch that. It was like CP3 to DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> it was just so smooth. Um Let's start with Karras because um, that boy's been balling lately. Yeah, we mentioned him on the last pod. He really bounced back in the you know in the last ten games, but then last night, he's just as a ball handler, he's looked so much more comfortable. He's looked so much more confident. Obviously, with the injuries, he stepped up as that backup point guard, especially with Kilpatrick and Whitehead not really handling the duties. But like you said last night in the pick and roll, he really took advantage. And I think one thing you're just seeing is he's just getting so much more comfortable and he's understanding the situation so much better. A lot of time early in the season or last season, he would get in the painter and he'd get past his defender, but he'd end up in no man's lands or he's end up with a turnover or trying to take a, a tough layup at the rim. He's a lot more under control, I feel like, a little bit more every game. Yeah, and some of those pull-up Jays have gone in quite nicely. I think um, he looks a lot smoother with that jumper. We were mentioning early in the season um, how he, he, he lacked a little bit on the offensive end. But we know the mechanics are there, so it was all about just confidence and rhythm. And he's he's got that in spades now. Um, I think, obviously, we mentioned a million times the the loss of, of Dilo has hurt us, but it certainly helped uh, Karras individually. And, and even Kenny mentioned that specifically. Um, you know, in, upon drafting him, they saw a lot of point guard abilities in him in terms of his, his handle and his ability to see the floor and his length. Um, but the fact that we've had so many injuries, you know, we've probably got our our third and fourth best ball handlers running the show right now, and they're running it very, very well. Um, you know, D'Lo has had his issues in terms of turnovers, but, you know, when we get back, you know, at some stage in the future, Jeremy Lin and, and D'Angelo Russell, um, th- those are four very capable ball handlers and guys that can create their own plays. And I think having those, uh, you mentioned your love for guys that can just create, 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 and then create their own shot as well, because... Karras and Spencer, uh, in the in the absence of, of our two guys um, in Lynn and, and Russell, um, they're getting all the confidence in their world and, and all the reps in the world. And I think it's going to pay off um, in terms of the future net plays. For sure. And I think you mentioned it. You know, the fact, 
the Nets, when they drafted Karras, there was a lot of talk about him being a point guard. And a lot of people were like, oh, 6'6", six, six, you know, is this 6'7"? Is this guy a small forward or shooting guard? But the Nets always mentioned point guard when talking Lever, And I think his passing ability is definitely something very underrated. And you saw it last night, like you said, with the alley-oops to Jared Allen. You know, you see it on display. And just as he gets more comfortable, he's just seeing the floor a lot better. Like I said before in a previous pod, we have to remember – Karis LeVert didn't even have a full rookie season. He's missed a lot of basketball the last few years. So he's starting to get healthy, starting to get adjusted to the game. Things are looking really well. Just to give his stat line a quick shout-out real quick, 17 points, 7-13 from the field, 1-3 from free, uh, three, two free throws, six assists, two rebounds, two steals, one block, and only three turnovers. Nice game what, from Karis. Yeah, that's what he does really well, Nick. Whenever we read out a stat line of Karis, he always does a lot of different things really well. He'll have a steal here and there, a steal or two. He'll have even a block here and here or there. You know, he's got a nice seven-foot wingspan, um, you know, being a, a sort of longer, ganglia guard, which which certainly helps him. Similar to Spencer, both of those guys are over 6'5", and their length and is helping them see the floor in a lot of different ways because you look at a guy like Dennis Schroeder, I think he's only about 6'1 or 6'2". You know, you've got those few inches over him, just shoot it over him. Um, why not? And, you know, being able to throw those alley passes to, to Allen and, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie has developing a really nice pick-and-roll chemistry with Tyler Zeller. Um, he's bringing out the best in him. I just like the chemistry that these guys are building with their teammates. Um, and it's certainly, hopefully, that um, continues in the future. And then, you know, D'Lo can come in and, you know, he's got that great relationship with someone like a Damari Carroll. So it, it's nothing but good things for some of our young guys because, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, should be in the conversation for most improved because there was this stat, I think, I can't remember if it was NBA TV or ESPN. Today, he's the third in players with the most straight games with six or more assists. Harden has 28 games uh, of such. CP3 has 16. And Dinwiddie has nine straight games with six assists or more. So that is a fair company to be in. Yeah, I think uh, Spencer definitely has uh, – he'll get mentioned in the conversation. His numbers would probably have to pop a little bit more, but who knows? You, I mean, he's still really improved. But back to Levert, I think one area where we can see him really step up to is defensively. You pointed out the yeah. seven-foot wingspan. I think if he starts to improve as you know, an on-ball defender and a help defender, having seven-foot wingspan definitely helps, and he has some nice quickness, anticipation skills. What do you think is the ceiling for Karis Levert? I am a little bit biased because I love Karis. You know this. He was my he's one of my favorite players on the Nets, if not my favorite. Yeah. Um, what do you think his ceiling is? Is, is this kid can he be an all star? I'm gonna go fringe all star, so maybe like a one one or two all star appearances if that Nick. I, I like a lot of the tools that he has, but in a in a really loaded NBA, just being realistic um and the position that he plays. There are so many great guards in today's game that are often overlooked. And our guy, D'Lo, is probably, uh, if they're playing together, I think he's probably the more likely of of our guard trio, so to speak. Um, you look at Spencer Dimity right now. For me, he has been absolutely balling out. And, you know, you, you compare numbers to last year. But Karis LeVert, had, like you mentioned, if, if he can engage well in the defensive end, lift that number, um, get that shot, really, really consistent and having guys have to guard him, that's going to open up the lanes for him, which he's really good at. He's got a nice handle when he's in control. So I think if he can engage more defensively and keep knocking down that shot, then certainly the sky's the limit for him. And he can certainly be a very, very serviceable starter for whatever team he's on. And hopefully that's the Nets for the future. But yeah, I like um, the game he had last night. If he's engaged one-on-one defensively, because we know he's quite good at anticipating, like you mentioned, and getting some steals. 
But if it's that one-on-one defense, sort of like, you know, a la Sean Livingston back in the day, um, then I think he can certainly grow and grow. Yeah, I think a fringe all-star is pretty fair. I think I don't think he'd be a guy that you're going to lock in for, you know, 10-year all-star, but he might get in there a few times. And like you said, it won't come from being amazing, I believe, at one specific thing. It'll come at being, you know, good at a lot of different things. You know, being a good ball handler, being a good shooter, being a good playmaker, being a good passer, being a good defender, even getting involved a little bit more on the boards. So I think fringe is definitely possible. And I think when you look at Karis LeVert, he's probably one of the bigger wild cards for the Nets. Obviously, D'Angelo is like the big ticket. But when you look at Lavert, you know, the Nets, they don't know. We don't know. Nobody really knows what exactly he's going to be. But if he was a fringe all-star, that would mean a lot of success for the Nets moving forward, you know, having such a great pick with the assets they did have. Yeah, and in terms of, like, we're looking at the the picks that we've had over the last few years, and Karras, Isaiah, Jarrett, um, Rondé four or five years ago, I guess you can count D'Lo just purely because of the trade. Um, you can kind of as, as, as our sort of first round from last year. Um, I, I think there's a lot of pieces there that are on a nice foundation. It's going to be interesting to see how they all mesh together and sort of how the chemistry works and as to like, who's that like A plus guy? Who's the one A guy? Um, you know, you look at in Golden State, they've got four all-stars right now, but everyone has a really specific sort of role. Like Clay's the off-ball guy. He's the number two. Draymond's that really key defensive guy, which I think RHJ has uh, an ability to be. Obviously, he's still got a, a ways to go. Um, but that 1A, 1B guy, you know, D'Lo certainly looks like he could be that one guy um, in the short amount of time that he showed, and especially offensively. But um, Karras is certainly showing a lot of a, a varied skill set, which is very promising. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, you see his role. I don't know if I would, I don't think he'd be a 1A or 1B player on a team see his role on a championship team like his skill set converts over to a team where he can play both ends of the floor he can handle the ball he's not a liability on the floor especially when he really turns up his game but let's talk about the the rook jared allen probably his his best nba game not only did he dominate hitting i mean dunking the ball a ton in the second half he also hit a three in this game oh yeah and it looked nice it was. It was a rainbow. It was pretty. And that, I, I don't know if I was more excited for the alley-oop or him hitting the three. It's hard to say. I'm going to go to the three, Nick, because that three, if he can knock that down, if he can keep that wrist action looking really f- flicky and really nice, then, oh, man, can you imagine, like, how... Chasing galore. It's like the space that would would be able to create for us as a whole because we know RHJ right now doesn't have that. Um, but if, you know, we can have a like, five-man lineup with four players that can hit the three, that's what you're looking for in today's NBA. I mean, ideal is five, but not everyone's the Houston Rockets and, and in some cases the Golden State Warriors when they play the right lineups. But, you know, if you have four players who can nail that shot, now Jared Allen has made one of them. So, I mean, we need to taper our expectations. But <laughs> the fact that he has hit it and the fact that mechanically it looks okay and mechanic and um, in terms of confidence-wise, Kenny's going to give him the green light. I think the key He's looked good is... in practice for the footage I've seen. Obviously, I haven't seen a ton. It's been, you know, like you, the Nets Daily guys or yeah. the Brooklyn Nets stuff. Yeah. It's nothing crazy, but it hasn't looked bad at all. No, not at all. And, and I think as well, if we're looking at it, he's forcing himself into getting more rotation minutes because he's just playing so goddamn well with what he's got. I think like 21 minutes last night is one of his higher uh, minutes f- for the season. I wouldn't be surprised if by, you know, all-star break, 
He's getting consistently 25 minutes. You know, he's going to have a game off here and there because, you know, that seems to be the way with uh, a lot of NBA players and a lot of management, especially with the young guys, because we don't want to see happen um, things to him like what happened to a guy like a John Collins where you've got that AC joint injury. We'd much rather have him, you know, fresh entire season, get him really, really pumped and amped for a big, 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 big preseason next year and then coming back for his sophomore season back stronger and fitter than ever. But that's one thing I think we're both probably really high on is the fact that he was able to really impose his presence, physicality, and, and just his body out there. He looked like he was a man. He looked like he was throwing it down, and that was something that was really exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's just exciting. And the three-point shot, like you mentioned, this is spacing. And the fact Rondé is improving, I don't know if he'll ever be a three-point shooter. The fact he can at least hit mid-range helps give you some more spacing. And Allen just is such a nice fit for so many things the Nets want to do. And like you said, I think they'll be smart about it and not play him, overplay him, because he isn't the biggest dude. But I already saw Nets fans tweeting out, you know, they want Jared Allen on the start. Yeah. Which I hope it'll happen, which I don't think starting is that big a deal. I think it's almost a little bit overrated now in the NBA's. And it's more about closing. Yeah. And I think he probably has earned himself in the closing lineup because this was probably before the Hawks game last night. I think he has the highest defensive rating on the Nets, like in terms of like the best. Yeah. And so, that, so that's a, it's pretty good stuff when you're a rookie. Absolutely. And, and it's just purely because he already has a really good NBA feel. Um, there's times where he can go missing, obviously. Um, he's still finding his way against some of the big guys around there and knowing when to sort of hedge in those pick-and-roll defense situations. But he's getting the reads already. He's getting the reps already. Um, I really, I've mentioned in a previous pod that I want to see guys being rewarded for, for playing well by being rewarded with, with extra minutes, whether it's two or three a night or whether it's a case of, you know, they're in the flow. Like, I think RHJ in that Portland game played like 36, 38 minutes because he purely was our best player offensively. Not offensively, D'Lo was probably offensively, but defensively, he was just kept on making plays. If Jared Allen's going to keep on doing that, obviously he's going to play for 38 minutes. He doesn't have the body and he doesn't have the like the, the stamina to do so yet. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised at some stage this season if we see him play 28 minutes once or twice, maybe even three times. Yeah, I would definitely wouldn't be surprised, especially when he gets closer to the year and maybe, you know, if the Nets are out of the playoff picture completely, they start to sit some of the vets and let him play big minutes. It just, I think we should break it down. We'll talk as often, then we'll talk about his defense. We'll talk offense first. Obviously, we mentioned the three-point shot, but just the ability you see that he has on the pick and roll, finishing the alley-oop, it, might, it may seem like an easy thing, but it provides the Nets with even more spacing. And I saw this on the Karras and Jared pick and roll afterwards where Karras, uh, I think he had like a teardrop or a finger roll. The big had to rotate so much farther back because he was so worried about Allen finishing the oop. It gave Karras an easy shot right at the rim, clear path, clear view. And it just, you know, talks about the vertical spacing he brings to the offense. Yeah, it, it provides so much when you've got a guy. I think it's really underrated in today's NBA. I think I was listening to it on Dunked On, one of you know the, the Bibles of NBA podcasting. Screening and rolling is probably one of the most underrated skills in today's NBA. Um, Moskov can't do it right. Moskov can definitely not do it right. And Jared Allen has this nice sort of, you know, zippy action to it. Like he's sort of like he gets the screen and he's quick. He's really quick off the mark. He's got really nice feet that I really like, and he's he's got that sort of zip and that agility about him. And it he's puts a lot of pressure on the defense. It does, and I think 
one thing that I've already seen, a, a, not necessarily a transformation in, but a development in is his hands. Just his hands are, are, are a lot more ready and they're a lot more, it's it's hard to think of the adjective, like clunky and sticky. Like he's got the ball. He can, he can obviously palm a ball with like his pinky finger because he's so huge. But obviously he was a bit more hesitant. He was a bit more worrisome, a bit more, Tentative. It sounds stupid, but he he practiced probably catching the ball hard passes. I think before one of the games, uh, I did. That's daily. He put out a video of him catching the ball, working on his post moves. It's small things that you work on. You know, he's a young player as well. He still needs to get more reps and get better. So that's just. And I think you mentioned it. You know, you can see his feel for the game, but you can see it get better with each game. Especially, we'll move over to the defensive end. Defensively, I can already notice him improving a lot just as a help defender. He's realizing, you know, I can take another step this way and help my guy and still be in good position. Also, it's, you know, kind of becoming aware of the NBA. How fast is this guy? How fast is this guy? Am I going to be able to recover? It's just getting, you know, comfortable with the situation. And his shot blocking ability, I think he had four blocks last night. You know, it's going to make people scared at the rim. Even if he doesn't go up for the block, they're just anticipating the action with his length and athleticism. Yeah, you look at a guy like Rudy Gobert, who is the NBA's most feared defender, uh, especially rim protector. You know, he automatically alters shots, and it doesn't necessarily uh, show up on the, the box score. But in terms of, you know, the, the defensive field goal percentage, it's going to be huge for him. And, and forcing them to make bad shots, forcing them to create turnovers, and, and forcing them out of the paint. I think with time and with reps, if he can sort of continue just continue that knowledge, continue. I think he's going to have a lot of time in, in the video room with a, with a lot of coaches and a lot of the scouts because obviously for a guy coming out of college, it's a big transition, you know, in, in so many different ways. You know, if the three-point line is deeper, you know, the, the physicality of the game is completely different. The speed of the game is different. But Jared Allen seems to be like a fish in water. He's taken to it like that. And I think with continuation and, and more games and more reps, and I want to see him taking on those guys. I want Kenny to, to give him those hard assignments on a guy. I'll be really intrigued to see him against um, Stephen Adams, who is a really big brute guy. That's and a it's tough matchup for him. Hugely tough matchup. And if Hassan Whiteside's back against Miami, you know, I want to see him get some, some valuable minutes against that. You know, because there's times where, you know, he might be embarrassed. He might lose, lose his, uh, his assignment. But that's part of the learning process for a rookie. And especially a guy who's got such a high defensive ceiling, he's going to need to learn how to, sort of like R.H. Shea has been able to this season, just move on to the next play. and Because not let it affect you and go, look, okay, this guy's good. That was a good play. I'll move on to the next one. I'll get him back next time. Yeah, I mean, definitely, he could definitely get work against some of the bigger guys, and he's going to learn. But I like his attitude. I don't have any worry about him him having an issue with moving on to the next play. Everything I've seen from him so far, I feel pretty confident in him, and I like he's not, like, cocky, but he is confident in his ability. I think it happened. This is way back earlier in the season when he went on to a, a smaller smaller guard and he was able to stay in front of him, I believe, with Dennis Schroeder. And they asked him about it after the game. He just said, you know, I'm confident in my ability to stay in front of a guy like that. So I think that says a lot, too. And this yeah. is farther farther down the road, but like you mentioned, the impact he has just being on the floor, teams, when they game plan for the Nets, eventually when he becomes a, a good defender, which we think he will be, they're going to have to worry about him on pick and roll or attacking the rim. It's just not going to be as easy, especially with his quickness. Yeah, and you oddly think how our biggest worry probably at the start of the season when we were starting this podcast, Nick, um, the Brooklyn Buzz, that it was the center rotation, whereas now, a guy like a Tyler, a Tyler Zeller, who we haven't mentioned, and had 
a, a season high nine rebounds in the last game, has sort of complemented Jared Allen's role quite nicely. Um, he's quite good in the pick and roll. Obviously, he doesn't have the athleticism or the physical capabilities, but Jared Allen can come out and be that really impact guy because Tyler Zeller has the NBA reps. He's got the experience. Plus, he's got a really good chemistry, as I mentioned, with a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. You play those lineups with Karis Levert and uh, for like five to 12 minutes a night, that's going to be some fun fun viewing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's and we always say this. I mean, the Nets aren't great, but it's easy to get excited for the future of this team with all the pieces, like you said. And then just the guys coming in like Zeller who are just playing well, it just it, it feels good for the Nets organization and see some of these guys that are not really talked about and unproven and come in and have nice moments with the team. Yeah, they deserve it. But anything it. you want to touch on before we get out of here, Jack? Just quickly, we uh, had a season high of thirty assists um, in the in the game against Atlanta, so it showed um, when we play when we play well. Exactly, it's always ball movement. It leads to good shots, whether it's inside and outside. You know, it's a lot harder to uh, one of my favorite sayings. It's a lot harder to defend a moving ball than it is a stagnant ball. Look what's going on in OKC. That's when we looked our best because obviously we don't have the elite NBA talent. But when you've got a system that encourages lots of touches, lots of movement, it's a lot harder to defend and it gets you a lot better looks. So we continue that ball movement. One little tidbit, one little negative from the game was the fact that we had so many turnovers, whether that was yeah. to coincide with our assisting. Um, you know, guys like Karis Levert can be a bit sloppy sometimes, but he wasn't that bad. Um, but, you know, in a team, against a team like Atlanta, you, know, you could probably get away with it. But going into the OKC team Miami games, those teams are, you know, they might not be the best teams, right? They're much more elite than Atlanta. We're going to have to probably tighten that up a little bit. So hopefully Coach Kenny's showing them a bit of table on that. Yeah, definitely cut them in half. I mean, it's going to be a tough matchup in Mexico City. That's where we got uh, OKC and Miami Heat, if you didn't know. It won't be at Barclays Center. Nets kind of expanding their, their uh, international presence. But OKC, there is facing them at a weird time. Obviously, OKC knows about all the talk and all the losses they had. It's almost like completely different styles. Nets completely ball movement. And OKC, slower down, ISO basketball, not a ton of passes. So I don't know if the Nets are going to be able to steal that one. It depends on OKC and if they, they're going to finally get their stuff together. Miami, on the other hand, that's not a completely terrible game. Like you mentioned earlier on the pod, Whiteside could be out. And the Heat are just struggling. Dragic hasn't looked great. They also don't play super fast either, so it'll be interesting to see how the Nets keep their pace up in both these games. Yeah, the clash of styles and, and, and the defense is going to be key and how we take care of the ball, Nick. So hopefully we can get a win, maybe two. Um, but if not, hopefully we can, we can at least... We if can the, at Nets, least play if the Nets get three wins, we have to do something special. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a think about it. We'll, if, if, for anyone listening, tweet at tweet us at the JMAJBT, at OTG Nick, uh, at OTG Basketball. Shout us out. We'll, um, we'll, we'll do something crazy hook you up with something i mean i might maybe we'll hook you up with a rookie card or some t-shirt or something but then that's when three straight and they beat you know obviously atlanta uh last night okc in miami i'll be pretty happy oh yeah if we can beat okc i'll be i'll be more than happy i have one friend that like he's not he's like a bandwagon okc fan and I, he already started talking shit about the game first off like bro you guys are supposed to be <laughs> a top four playoff seed in the west and you're not even currently in the playoff picture and we're on the other hand not really supposed to do anything we lost arguably our two best players in the season and we're still finding a way to win games that's one thing about okc as well like there haven't been any health issues really like patrick patterson had that preseason surgery but 
He hasn't looked we've good. All, he hasn't looked good at all. Like, uh, and a lot of people, we've been, I think you and I mentioned uh, on one of the outlets as well. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm praying that, like, Russ doesn't have, like, a triple-double. Paul George doesn't, like, light it up from three. And, like, Melo just does his ISO thing and just nail everything. But, you know, um, we'll, we'll have our fingers crossed here at Brooklyn Buzz, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. God bless. Go Nets. Hopefully they can pull off the W. And as always, you can listen to Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, and otgbasketball.com. Thank you, Jack, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Go Nets. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.